Now this morning I would like to speak to you further about some of the things that have been on my heart, uh, of course, on the second coming of our blessed Savior. And uh, I have been dealing in these past uh, few weeks with the great generalities concerning the second coming of Christ. Uh, now I'd like to deal with some of the specifics one by one. Uh, the specifics are very, very clear. There are dealings in different areas. And while great prophetic utterances are made to Israel in the Old Testament, and many refer to Israel in the New Testament, but are for the church, since the Jews do not read our New Testament, to keep us in clear knowledge as to the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Much of the reference in the New Testament is naturally to Israel, since they are the people to whom God has made great promises and through whom Christ came. We must never forget this. Jesus says in John 4.22, Ye worship what ye know not, but we worship what we know, for salvation has come from the Jews. So he leaves us no doubt as to where salvation came from. It came from the Jews. And so I want to deal naturally, first of all, with Israel and her mistakes and her trusts in her power as God's earthly people. In other words, believing that they somehow, by their own brilliance, if I might put it that way, their great acumen of gaining power and of controlling commerce, that through all of these things, they would be able to take care of themselves and that they, on their own strength, would finally gain back those things which God had promised to their father Abraham. So that would be the number one thing, would be Israel. The number two thing, which of course I wouldn't get to, will be Russia and her great mistake and trust in her power as an anti-God philosophical viewpoint. And unfortunately for Russia, she is battling against that which she can do nothing about, determined according to the last few weeks of listening to the president of Russia, Bogonin, say that Israel will have to return all of the properties, all of the lands which they took by force in the war of 1967. Now that's just a little piece of what Israel really owns, you see. Israel at present owns about 30,000 square miles that they have taken by force or since 1948 have had as a nation. 
That which God promised to Israel is one million square miles. They have never possessed it. Even in the greatest days of Joshua and of the kings, they have never possessed all that God promised to them that would take him from the Nile to the Euphrates and to the forest of Lebanon. And he lays it all out in the book of Joshua and also in Genesis. So they have never, never really owned the land. And Russia is what I would call fighting against a prophetic wall which she cannot pierce. But the world doesn't understand this. You see. Only the Christian will understand this. The Jews do not understand it. Blindness, Paul says, in part has come to Israel. And the veil which was before their eyes when they read Moses, is still there. So that the Jews do not understand, Russia does not understand, the United States does not understand, and the only ones who will really understand what the world's all about are the born-again Christians. Because they have received the Spirit of God. And no man knoweth the things of God except the Spirit of God. And therefore you can know nothing except you have the Spirit of God. And you receive that by simple faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Then the book begins to shine, and you begin to see things as they are and as they're prophesied of being. So that the book then becomes open to you. So that you see things as God wants you to see them. So there will be Russia and her mistakes. Then there will be Egypt and her great mistake of trusting in a fleshly ally, which will be Russia. I'll have something to say about that. Then there will be the nations and their great mistake of being deceived by the three evil spirits of Revelation in which all the nations of the earth are deceived to war against God. Some people think it's only going to be Russia who will finally be warring against God. But Russia's falling on the mountains of Israel, beloved, is prior to the greatest battle that ever will happen. For when it talks of the battle of Armageddon, the word used is not a single battle. The word means campaign. It's of a long duration, and it terminates with a great battle in which all the nations of the earth, it is said in Scripture, are deceived to war against God. And then ultimate and final judgment comes, as has been said so many times, Armageddon will come. Then, of course, there is the Lord and his victory over all their mistakes. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I'm so glad. I could, you know, I could have, I used the word mistakes here. I could have used sin, you know, just as well. That's the word the Lord would use, you think, because of their sin. And it will be the ultimate victory of righteousness over sin. And the ultimate, absolute control of all things, all men, all the universe, ultimate, final, and complete, with no other adversaries 
by our Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. That's what we desire more than anything else. Now, there have been things and peoples that I have talked about undoubtedly over the last few weeks or so that I have mentioned in passing or in Scripture, like the beast and the false prophet, and some of you go like this probably, and you might say, oh, beast and false prophet. My pastor knows where that is, I'm sure. Uh, I'll get around to that. All I ask is this, that you be faithful if God spares me for the next few months every Sunday. If you miss a Sunday, you miss I might just happen to speak on that Sunday on the beast and false prophet and you'll come back the following Sunday and I'm speaking about it again and you say, I wish I knew what he was talking about now. Well, I'll be talking to you about the beast and the false prophet because the beast is the antichrist, the one who many will receive as the Christ. Jesus says there'll be another who'll come in his name and him will you receive. And I'll be speaking about the false prophet whom the Jews will easily receive as Elijah, having come back to them and telling them that this Antichrist is a Messiah for them. And so all of this, you see, is is wrapped up in the Scriptures in a wonderful way. But this morning, I thought I would like to go back a little with you, if I could, to to Israel, and the portion we read this morning had something to do with that, with the, the child born of the free woman and the child born of the bond woman. And Paul finally culminates when he says, for we are those who are born of the free woman. But I'd like to really go back to Genesis, if I can with you, to Genesis, the 12th chapter. For here's where we really begin. May I quickly say this? There are great promises of the Redeemer's coming. The first promise of the Redeemer's coming is found in the book of Genesis in the third chapter in the 15th verse. So that the coming of Christ is not something that is a come-lately thing. It is something that was prophesied way back in the beginning. And in Genesis 3.15, remember after the fall of Adam and Eve, it says that I will put enmity, God is speaking here to Satan, between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now, we never speak We usually speak of his seed when we speak of seed. We speak of a man, his seed. But here it says, and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this is speaking of that final time, number one, when Christ shall crush the head of Satan. That's coming. And Satan had the power to bruise the heel of Christ, not to destroy him. Oh, the, undoubtedly, there was great, great glee when Christ was crucified. 
but God took the most wicked deed of mankind and turned it unto man's salvation. He took that which they thought would cease, would terminate all of God's plans, for Satan knows the word of God, and would eliminate the coming of the Savior. And so the promise that a seed would come who would finally crush the head of this one who caused the fall of mankind. For sin is a great mystery. It came into the world, we're told, by one man, Adam, and he was deceived by Satan. And we're told that by one man sin entered the world, and so death by sin. And so sin passed upon all men, for that all sinned in Adam. Amazing grace and foreknowledge of God of all men's hearts, you and of me. And the fact that not one of us could ever be sinless. No matter who you are, impossible for you to be sinless. Sin came into the world and came in through Adam. And so God in his great mercy says, I have put the whole world under sin that I might have mercy on the whole world. I'm so glad for that. I've never had one little doubt in my mind about Martin Gein being a sinner. God had said so, and I knew so. It's only the blind who cannot really see themselves who would judge themselves as righteous, a self-righteousness. Paul says, they going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is of God. In other words, if I'm to know I'm a sinner, all I have to do is to compare myself to Jesus Christ. That's all. Anything lower than him is sin. What does it say? We have all come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we're sinners. And so we're all put under sin. And every one of you this morning should rejoice in that, that you don't have to guess about it, that you don't have to wonder day by day, I wonder if I'm making it. No, you're not making it, and you never will. You stop that silly kind of philosophy. I wonder if I'll make it. So often people say that to me, you know, and, I, and it breaks my heart as a pastor, even after that I've preached for years and years. I'll have someone say to me, I'll say, isn't it great to know Christ as your Savior and to know you're bound for heaven, you're eternally saved? And I'll say, I'm trying my best. Well, you can't try. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's the only way you can be saved. For by grace are ye saved through... How do you get faith? It's the only way you get it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that God has predetermined that any man shall enter hell. 
God's foreknowledge knows if you're going to hell. But you determine it. The scripture is clear on that. That God in his foreknowledge put my name in the Lamb's book of life. But he knew every single step Martin Gian would take down through his entire life. And he knew the witness that would be borne to my heart by the word of God. And so the word says faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And I came to Christ. Now I am predestinated to a glorious thing. Well, Romans 8 says, He has predestinated us. It isn't used for the unsaved. He has predestinated us who are the redeemed children of God to be conformed unto the very image of God. <coughs> ah, that's glorious. That's glorious. And so this glorious one has predetermined it. But it all started with a promise to Abraham. Amazing thing. God began with great love to the world. And in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of man, the blood sacrifice comes into being. And, and uh, uh, Adam is clothed with skins. It meant that an animal had to be slain. It was a simple, childlike thing that God was showing him. He tried to cover his nakedness with leaves, and God says, that's not it. You wouldn't understand. You'd always be doing this yourself. I'm going to provide the covering for you. And so he gave him a covering of skins, and the blood sacrifice came into being. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it's always been the same. The law has never saved any man's soul because no man in all the world has ever obeyed the, the Mosaic law. The law of Moses is an impossibility for the human heart to obey. We cannot obey it. We are not made of such substance. Therefore, God sent Christ and he fulfilled the whole law. And then it says he suffered death for every man that he might bring us to God. He fulfilled it. He was the perfect one. And he clothes us with his righteousness. He says to us, the law could make no man righteous, but the coming in of a better hope did. Isn't that wonderful? God hath made him to be sin for us who know no sin that we might be made what? the righteousness of God in him. But Abraham started it all. God opened it wide to the world with Adam. There were no Jews. Abraham's not a Jew. Abraham is a Gentile. Abraham's father's name was Terah. And the scripture says they, they worshipped pagan gods together. Isaac was not a Jew. It isn't until Jacob comes 
and his 12 children become the tribes of Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Two removed from Abraham. So God's great salvation was for the whole world back in those days. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. But all down through the dispensations of the age of innocence and there were different ones with Adam and Eve and then the age of human government and then the age of the law and the age of promise and now the age of grace. All down, man failed and failed and failed and failed. And by the time Abraham came, and God had already brought down the judgments upon Noah. He had brought down the judgments upon Babel. By the time he got to Abraham, God had his plan all set from the councils of eternity. And then he turned to one man, Abraham. And he had great things to say to him. Isn't it wonderful? I bet you, do you ever think about these things? People talk about Abraham. He must be a Jew. Well, the Arabs call Abraham in the Koran El Chulil, which is the friend of God and our friend, the Arabs, because they're the descendants of Abraham through Ishmael. And so, you see, Abraham holds in a unique place in the plan of God. Listen to what Luther said. I think this is interesting. After Luther found Christ and came to Christ as his personal Savior and really loved the Savior and opened the great Reformation, listen to the words of Luther. He comes to Genesis, the 12th chapter. Here's what he says. Now, this is Luther speaking. Now there follows the right promise of God, which ought to be written in golden letters and proclaimed in all the lands of the earth and for which we ought to praise and glorify him. Because here was the ultimate promise of God that involved, remember, Genesis 12 involves all mankind. Genesis 12 involves a man, it involves the nation Israel, and it involves every single man upon the face of the earth because God made such great promises to this one man. God had, through the age of innocence, dealt with Adam and Eve, they failed. God had, through the age of human government, dealt with men and they came to the Tower of Babel and God had to give the confusion of tongues just like we have in the United Nations today. Confusion of tongues. Nobody knows where they're going. United Nations is another Tower of Babel being built to take out of God's hands and put into the hands of the nations how they're going to get the world straightened out. And that's exactly what the Tower of Babel was. We will build a tower unto the stars. And God said, let us go down and see what man does. And he came down and he saw what man does. And he said, scatter them throughout the earth. Scatter them. Had to do the same thing with Noah. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the world, it says in, in, in the sixth chapter of, 
of uh, Genesis, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and so he had to bring the flood upon the earth. And all the earth is cleansed out, and all is left is Noah and his children. Eight souls are saved. You and I are the descendants of Noah. Most of this are probably the descendants of Japheth. He had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Through Shem came the line which led down to Jesus Christ. But God dealt with man in each one of these dispensations. And then, beloved, after he dealt with each one, he came to the point where he picked one man. Now notice what he says to that one man. And this is the great promise of God for universal peace. Abraham and the faith that Abraham expressed, and then the lineage which ran down to Jesus Christ through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, and down through David to Jesus Christ is found in this promise. And it's the promise to the whole world. It's the promise that one day there will be ultimately a glorious world and it will be Abraham's promise that is going to bring the world together where brother will live with brother and there'll be no such thing as race or creed or anything else because the only ones who will be there will be those who really trusted and believed in God and have the ultimate kingdom put into their hands because Jesus Christ is going to deliver the kingdoms unto God. And the only thing he can deliver is those whom the Father has given to him. He says, no man comes to me except the Father draw him to me. I and my Father are one. John 17, Father, that we all may be one, I and thee and thou and me and they and us, that we may be one. Where, Lord? Now, yes. And where else, Lord? In all the future, you'll be one with me. And so listen what he says to Abraham. What great words. What great words. Listen. Now the Lord said unto Abram, you notice it's Abram here. Marvelous thing, here's Abram around this time, he's about uh, 90. And the Lord, a little lady, you know, changes his name to Abraham, and that really got him upset. Because when he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, Abram was not the father, you see, of children. And Sarah, his wife, was barren. She was 80 when he was 90. And the Lord tells him, God, Jehovah, God says to him, I'm going to change your name, Abram, from Abram to Abraham. He says, oh, you just picture it. Lord, don't put the reproach worse on me, will you? Because the name Abraham means father of many children. And you can picture poor Abram at that age. And with his wife, Baron. So I'm going to change her name. It's going to be Abraham. And I can picture Abraham if I could, you know, just go, oh, oh it's enough. You're going to tell the people my name has changed. And you know what I've had? I have Eliezer in my house. He's the steward of my house. He's the only one I got to, to leave anything. And the Lord says, don't you worry about it. 
I'm changing your name to Abraham. You're going to be the father of many, many nations. Now listen. The Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now where he lived was a fine land. Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was a great land. Charan was rich. But he was going to lead him to another land. Incidentally, recent research in the Ur section by our archaeologist has brought out mathematical formulas that have not yet been able to be deciphered by our present-day mathematicians. Amazing. This was a brilliant land. And God calls a man to leave a nice country. It would be like saying to you, you know, you come to you today, and God says to you, now here's what I want you to do, Robert. Here's what I want you to do, John. Here's what I want you to do, Andrew. I want you to pull stakes. That's bad enough. You'd all shudder. You've got two nice homes. And I want you to leave this country, and I'd like you to settle in war-torn Vietnam. I'd like you to leave, oh, it is so beautiful. I want you to leave, notice what he says, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your family. But you know, that's like the call to the mission field, isn't it? Huh? You know, when a young person's called, they have to leave the family. This isn't easy. But here, this man, he's not a young man. And God calls him and says, I want you to leave your country. Well, let me tell you, that's a big enough thing. Then they say, I want you to leave your kindred. Yeah, what else, Lord? And I want you to leave your home. That's all I have. Well, that's what I want you to do. I want you to leave it all. I want you to give it all up. The Lord Jesus speaks about those things too, you remember. Unless a man leave his father and his mother and his sisters and his brothers. And unless he leaves all that he has and follows me, he cannot be my disciple. All he's saying is your possessions cannot possess you. If your possessions possess you, he's saying to you, don't you see, if the possessions possess you, I can never possess you. If your money possesses you, God can't possess you. If your properties possess you, God can't possess you. And here Abraham is asked, you leave it, Abram, and you leave your father's house, you leave, and I'm going to take you unto a land that I will show you. Now, beloved, he didn't know where he was going. Over in Hebrews it says, and knowing not whither he went, he went. Why, that's faith. Huh? You know, first, it's entirely different today. I had someone come to me one time, well, about 10 years ago, say, I want to go to the mission field. I said, great. I said, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Yes, I know Christ as my personal Savior. All right, I said, I know a mission that needs a missionary. I said, where was your education? Christian school, had two years of seminary. I'd like to go. Great. I said, I'll get in touch with the seminary, I, at least the mission board. I'll make an appointment with you. Call up the mission board and I made an appointment with them. 
about three, four days later, he came in to see me again. I said, how things go? He said, uh, changed my mind. I said, you changed your mind? Why? Don't pay enough. And the field that wanted to send me, I didn't like. Abraham, Abram, knowing not whither he went, God didn't say to him, Now, Abram, I'm going to take you out of here and I'm going to send you to the nicest place in all the world. Lots of fruits, good soil, everything is perfect. He didn't know it was a land of Canaan he was going to. Had no idea. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave. And notice now the promise. Here's the sacrifice, you see. Now, here's the promise. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to leave three things. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your home, your country, your family, your home. By and large, most people say, not me, Lord. Not me. I, I doubt many would say, here, my Lord, send me. They'd probably back out some way. Say, no, Lord, please, not me. And now notice the promise, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And I will curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall what? All families on the earth be blessed. Well, they're flashing the light at me, you know. Let me close by turning you over to Galatians, the third chapter. I want you to see what the blessing of Abram is, and now we'll look into the New Testament for the blessing. And I'll read it to you. Galatians 3, the 8th to the 16th verse. And the scripture, this is the Old Testament, see, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. That's the gospel. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Remember what Jesus says, and we're told this time and again, but James and the epistles and many of the places, he that offendeth in one tittle of the law is guilty of the whole law. It's not a matter of, I got a 70% average. Here he says, cursed is everyone who continueth not in what? All things which are written in the book of the law. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not a faith. But the man that doeth them shall live by them or in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse from this, thought for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He bore the curse of our sin. 
on that tree. Oh, beloved, how can I impress this into your heart? The law can make no one righteous. Christ bore the curse. For cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. He suffered death for every man. Every, 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 every man that he might bring us to God. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's you and me. And upon everyone, remember, Abraham started as a Gentile. And then that nation came forth that he would bless a great nation. That was Israel. Great blessings in store. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. Isn't it wonderful? Are you redeemed this morning? If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls it or adds thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Ah. Abraham's seed. And through thy seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so when you go to your records of Matthew and Luke and you trace down the lineage of the descendancy of Jesus Christ and you run down from Adam in one case and you run down through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then down through Judah all the way down through David to Jesus Christ in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and all the nations of the world today are waiting for but one thing beloved the blessings of our father Abraham for Paul says for Abraham is our father by faith because the gospel was preached to him first and came to us through that nation God chose his grandson Jacob whose name was changed to Israel and the word Israel means God will rule That's the meaning. Oh, how tremendous. Blessing to a man. Blessing to a nation, Israel. But more than that, blessing to every nation upon the face of the earth. Through the living Christ. Born of the seed of Abraham. Now one day Abraham's important. That's why he's mentioned so much in Scripture and in the New Testament. Because Abraham was the one who showed the way to us Gentiles. Abraham believed God and his faith was counted for righteousness. Was Abraham righteous? No, he was not. Not in his flesh. Abraham was just as wicked as you or I and more so. 
Abraham committed adultery. Abraham passed his wife off as a sister and nearly got himself into terrible trouble. And Abraham ended his life, unfortunately, with concubines. But Abraham believed God. And his faith was counted for righteousness. Now let me say this for you and for me. Now you can understand yourself a little more. By faith you're saved and nothing else. You may have failed God since Abraham did. Jacob did. Isaac did. David did. Everyone did. They all failed God. Now maybe you've sinned since your salvation. Abraham did. But I want to tell you, Abraham is in glory. Moses, who was a murderer, is in glory. He appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah. David, that adulterous, murderous man, is in glory. Why? By faith. Oh, God give you understanding of what faith is. This is not the mind of man. The carnal mind is enmity with God and cannot see the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. You can only understand what faith means when faith has come into your heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then you understand that a man can only be saved by faith. He'll make his mistakes and he'll break his communion with God through those mistakes, but he can never break the union because he's been united with Jesus Christ. Father, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me that we all may be one. So Christian, have you been a failure? Well, you didn't think your salvation was thrown away when you failed, did you? Then you don't know what faith is. Jesus says, John 10, 28, and I close with this. Boy, I'd like to go on. I give unto them eternal life. Come on, some of you know this, say it with me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Isn't that great? What tremendous promise. Drink them in. For knowing the promises to Abraham, you know the promise of the seed which was Christ who is the Redeemer of the world. And nations will never be blessed. No nation on this earth will ever be blessed except through Abraham. And the nations have gone amok. But God is going to bring his son back. And he tells us in Revelation, he will rule with a rod of iron and be king of kings and lord of lords and the only high potentate of all the earth. And Isaiah tells us the kings of the earth shall flow to him and worship at his feet. That's coming. It's coming. Let us pray. Now, Father, we say with Luther, ah, this is the promise of God, which ought to be written in golden letters upon our hearts and proclaimed in all the lands of all the earth for all the blessings come from this faith that Abraham expressed. Oh God, touch our hearts this morning.
Maybe someone wants to come to Christ and just say, Pastor, pray for me. No long invitation. Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I really want Christ as my Savior. I won't call you down front. Just put it high. Let me see it. Just, just a hand. Yes, I saw that hand. Lord bless you. Anyone else? Just put it up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Put it up. Pastor, pray. Just pray for me. Anywhere? Quickly. Don't hesitate. Oh, the promises of God are yours. Do you have Christ in your heart by faith truly this morning? As I've spoken, do you really know him? Really with all your hearts? Just put that hand up and just say, Pastor, pray. Pray for me. Here's my hand. Just one moment. Just put it up high. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just to join this one. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy word, and we pray that thou it's blessed, and Lord, for this one who's indicated faith in Christ, we pray a special blessing upon his heart that he might truly love the Savior, the one who has redeemed us all, by whom all redemption comes to mankind. And we will praise thee for it in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. All the people of God said, Amen.